0: hungry trilobite podcast would like to start by acknowledging SoonerCon. Get ready for the next chapter in Oklahoma's longest-running fan-run pop culture convention. SoonerCon will be returning in 2024, June 21st through 23rd. Get ready for a weekend of cosplay, fun and excitement, vendors, gaming, and more. You can go to SoonerCon.com for more information. welcome to today's episode of the hungry trilobite podcast my name is aaron Bossig, and i'm going to be your host today's episode is going to be a real treat we have pretty chipper on who is one of the more notable writers for comics today and she is especially notable for her love of spider-man let's get started with pretty right now on tap today we have Preeti chipper how are you doing this evening
1: i am good how are you
0: I am doing great. I just wrapped up your new book, Spider-Man's Bad Connection. I had a great time with it. And I really, really would like to talk about what's <laughs> gone into this book.
1: Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm glad you liked it.
0: What struck me first, more than anything, was that for a Spider-Man book, it really is focused on the detective aspect of being a superhero, <laughs> which it seems like every story says that they're going to do and they never actually get there. So your book nailed that. And I thank you for that.
1: Oh, thank you. That's so funny because I never—I knew there would be a mystery, but I never thought of it as detectiveing. But you were right; there is very much this like solving aspect to it for everybody involved.
0: Yes, and that—that's really rewarding because you know, first of all, when I say it's a book, it is a novel. Mm-hmm. It's not a comic book, right? so it's very difficult to convey a lot of the action and visuals, obviously in text. So that's a really good way of drawing the reader into the experience. Mm-hmm within those that that realm
1: yeah it's it's funny i think one of the the biggest struggles i had so this is the second book in a series the first one is spider Man's social dilemma which came out last year um when i was initially writing it i was like oh right i have to be able to write spider-man fighting action sequences and you know, visually Spider-Man is such a wonderful character because he's like so elastic and you can do, he can do so much with his body and there's so much potential for kind of variety in panels Mm -hmm. with words somewhat more limited in terms of, you know, how many times can we describe the way he shoots his web, right? Mm -hmm. Or flipping or stretching or these things. So that was like a unique thing coming into the action sequences and so yeah relying more on some of the other aspects of a superheroing absolutely came into it
0: and you're writing these characters extremely young yes Um, obviously the character has been iterated many times in many different varieties but you're really really gearing them toward the young and i could see this being uh as a young adult novel if you were we all remember the Scholastic Book Fair. Mm-hmm. And there was always that one book everybody wanted to bring home. This is that book. Oh, this I hope is so. Like, <laughs> it, it's the gem of the book fair.
1: Yes. Tell book fairs to carry it. Yes, do that. <laughs> like Request it from your Scholastic Book Fair. Let's go.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's accessible to all ages, but mm-hmm. it still has a lot in there. That say, if you're an older reader, like I'm going to say myself, because I'm no spring chicken, you're going <laughs> to see a lot in there that you're going to dig. And what I liked more than that is that it helps me see how younger people are going to read superheroes, how what they're going what to, they, what's believable to them.
1: Yeah, bringing Peter and MJ, you know, they're 16 and it's current era. They're juniors in high school and no, sophomores in high school. I'm like, what sh-? I just turned in the third book and so I'm keeping my plots straight. Um, but they're in high school and bringing them into current times in high school was an interesting proposition because obviously There's so much more technology now. It's a different time than when our OG Spidey went to high school way back in the day. Uh, And so really wanting it to feel modern and relevant for kids who would be picking it up.
0: You used extensively Peter's cell phone and his Twitter account. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and here's what I love about that is I, I'm a fan of the old, old, old George Reeves Superman show.
1: Mm-hmm. And I watch oh, nice. it now.
0: <laughs> and every time I think, this show doesn't exist if they have cell phones. Almost yep. every plot is this person on this side of town has information this person needs. And in that 50s, that couldn't resolve itself. <laughs> and you just kind of find a whole bunch of new stories that take place in that with the cell phone era. You don't sidestep it at all.
1: No, but I we, we joke about it a lot you know, in, in YA where we're like, man, if I want to, I want to do historical fiction, we're going to set this book in the nineties so that we don't (laughs) have to deal with any of the communication stuff. Cause yeah, stuff can get cleared up so quickly, but now it's how do we use the tech that we have access to as a storytelling device more so than like, oh God, what am I going to do? How can I, how can I still have miscommunication, even though they have access to all this, like uh, connective technology. Um, and of course, like a big thing, one of the biggest issues in my head for the world is media literacy. So I was like, we are going to bring that like to the very front of this. And tech is a big part of that. And like cell phones and social media and all of that are such a huge part of that, that I was like, I just want this to be a part of the story.
0: That really well done. And I, it's it's funny the way you say that there because uh, I'm not in the business of giving spoilers. I'm not going to give mm-hmm. away any of the story. I want people to go read it, but I will say that the fact that you have ways of using technology to make the the mystery deeper instead mm-hmm. of just obviously give away answers, it really works well, and it's a really clever way of making the story believable instead of just you can't you can't show the cell phone, you can't show right. the Twitter account. No, we're going to hang on it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be a part of it because that's, I also think like, I've obviously not necessarily Twitter, but the way social is a part of all of our lives now, and, and I say all in quotes, um, but in so many people's lives and how imperative it is to so many livelihoods and, you know, Peter interns at the Daily Bugle and what media these days in our current era relies on social thanks to- So many things that have happened. Um, So, of course, it would be a part of the story. It would have to be.
0: And we're seeing, when you say media media literacy, it's important for people to understand that just how how information comes to be, how Mm -hmm. it gets onto that screen, that it's not always a very trustworthy way. Right. And it's for some reason we think it is.
1: Yeah, it was fun to bring someone like J. Jonah Jameson into this conversation because mm-hmm. I love Jay Jonah Jameson. I think he is an amazing character and I love writing him. And something I really like doing is understanding that he's a he's good at his job. Like if you take away the spider man and his anger at Spider-Man, like people want to work for J. Jonah Jameson because he is a good newspaper man, right? And so using him to have some of those conversations of like, well, he gets to write all the copy or he gets to clear all the copy about Spider-Man and it's like, why? And it's because he has an agenda. And considering the agenda of the people writing the words you were writing or reading on the screen is like, well, let's put that in. Let's figure out how Peter wants to deal with that. It was just really fun.
0: And there are cases where Peter's chasing a lead based on a tweet. Yep. And and you have to ask yourself as the audience, as the reader, does is this something he should be doing? Is this yeah. reliable? And that's not an easy question to answer.
1: Nope. And is it worth the risk if he doesn't listen? What happens if he does and he misses something else? Like these are all questions that he and, and Mary Jane are asking themselves and trying to figure out. But it's hard when you're, I mean, it's hard for us as adults. It's hard to figure out. So like, mm-hmm. forget like kids, what are they going to do?
0: Yeah. And, and you're- we were just talking about the the high school students and the, the YA students who are living in this world. This mm-hmm. is the only world they've ever known. And we are trying to say to them, things weren't always this way. And I'm not saying they were better before, but they were different. And yes. in some ways the rules were a bit clearer.
1: Yeah, it was easier to navigate. I do think that we had a somewhat simpler ability to navigate some of the stuff because we're we weren't bombarded with it. of the time, constantly. It wasn't just constantly parsing through every single sentence we read, trying to figure out where it came from, who said it, who's going to benefit if I believe it, etc.
0: I mean, even the idea of a newspaper like the Daily Bugle, if you go back to the 90s and prior, a newspaper was generally speaking a respectable publication with a reasonable track record on telling the truth. And That was not always perfect, but it was something you could say, okay, we can all agree. This is what the newspaper says, and that's how it got there, and that's not something we have today. A guy like J. Jonah Jameson would be trying to stay relevant. That would be part of what his agenda is.
1: Yeah, that's true. There is definitely, oh, it's so depressing.
0: (laughs) It is. I, that was not my goal when having this conversation, but I think we have to at least it's, look at that. It's
1: a part of it, it's, and that's where the media literacy stuff comes into play here and in Social Dilemma. It's a big part of Social Dilemma of acknowledging the impact these things can have, not just like on our understanding of the world, but on how we feel about being people, about how we exist in the day emotionally, Um, because that's something that we all have to deal with. Like when we joke about doom scrolling and you're just like feeling worse and worse and worse and just looking on your phone and it's like, why am I letting this little thing? Like, I don't know that we were meant to be constantly reading headlines 24 hours a day and seeing the worst parts of the world just all the time. And so that was, (laughs) has to be discussed, but it is really like, oh man, that's sad.
0: (laughs) I think a lot of people, not necessarily everybody, but a big percentage have almost a a bias for action that when they see a problem, Mm -hmm. they feel compelled to do something about it. And when you can't, but you keep seeing more problems over and over and you can't do anything, that's distressing. And Peter feels that in the story quite a bit. You you Mm -hmm. have moments where you're acknowledging that he can't not do something even when it's not within his ability to do it.
1: I mean, that's Peter's whole deal, right? With great power comes great responsibility and you have this responsibility to act if you can. But the question to ask, and I think MJ is a perfect example of this, of like, how do I do good in a way where I am still making sure that I am okay? Mm -hmm. And how do I do good in a way that doesn't fully sacrifice myself, which is something that Peter has a problem with and MJ is a great avenue through which to be like that's not healthy (laughs) don't do that
0: and it's really great to point out that mj has a almost parallel role to peter Mm -hmm. she is like a superhero without a costume in this particular story yeah and that is a really great way of remember when it keeps the the action balanced because when you can have them in two different locations the story keeps progressing very quickly it's a very quick read Mm mm-hmm And it makes her a very satisfying character, too, instead of always being either the damsel in distress or the annoyed girlfriend. This gives her a much richer role.
1: Yeah, I was very adamant. When I pitched the series initially, it was, uh, I was like, this is a Peter and Mary Jane rom-com, meaning both of them are, like the book wouldn't work if either one of them wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So, so often you can have a Spider-Man story without Mary Jane, but I was like, this, this, Trilogy will not work without her storyline beyond just as a romantic partner for Peter. So it was really important to me that she get her own perspective. She has her own chapter. She has her own plot of what she is working on outside of what Spider-Man is doing and outside of what Peter Parker is doing. Um, Because I love Mary Jane. I think she's a wonderful character and I always get excited when she has something to do which is really nice and unfortunately more rare than I would like it. Uh, the, the Spider-Man PS4 game was a huge influence in that because like, I remember getting to play as MJ in that game and I was like, this is the coolest thing that's ever happened. Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing.
0: Yeah, I mean, just opening up any sort of superhero game and allowing side characters in is nice. But then to not have necessarily the costume characters, but just yeah. have the regular quote-unquote civilian characters I mean, everybody who knows The Secret ends up being a a non-civilian at some point, but... Right. Yeah, and that's that's a really cool way of of putting it in there.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I love MJ. She's the best.
0: (laughs) So how long did it take you to concept this out and make the whole storyline?
1: I started working on the... I think they emailed me asking if I'd be interested in writing a Spider-Man story in March... 2019 I feel like and so that that's where it like first started being conceived and it was a little bit different initially um but then it was basically a year figuring out of what the project wanted to be and then another year of pitching and outlining and getting an entire trilogy approved from Marvel it was just a lot of like I think if I look back in my folder of like that original pitch, there's probably like 25 word documents in there of just like, okay, how about this one? Okay, how about this one? <laughs> so it took overall just before I even started writing the first book, probably at least a year and a half, two years, something like that. I'm looking
0: at my comic collection here and I notice I have some other uh, superhero novels, but not a lot. <laughs> it's not really a very popular subgenre. And is there, is this part of the reason for that that it just takes so long to get a final product compared to a you know a quick twenty page comic, or is there just a, is there a better reason?
1: I think that that's a it's a complicated question because there have been a lot of really really good ones like DC mm-hmm. does a lot of good stuff especially on the kids side um, with original novels like Min Lay uh, has his illustrated um, Green Lantern book. Um, Marie Lu, I think has a Batman book. Like there's all these like really wonderful novels that have come out. Marvel Press has a ton of stuff. Like um, Alex Segura's Spider-Man 29, nine, or 2099 came, and Aranya came out this year. Uh, Kate Bishop, there's a Kate Bishop book, book coming out next month. Um, there's a lot of really good stuff happening. What's hard I think is comics on the like comic traditional big two floppies, the way they're sold is complicated for the average buyer. And these books are for a wider audience, I think. And so there's, is complicated in the sense of like, how do we market them? Who do we talk to you know, where are they sold? They're sold in comic book stores, but they're also sold in like regular bookstores because they're just novels. And so I think that's, there. there is so much good work being done, but I think what's complicated is figuring out how to tell people that they exist. That's mm-hmm. the hard part.
0: Sure. And maybe to illustrate that a bit, um, for somebody who's not really a comic book fan, which I have those people in my audience, if you're wanting to buy a comic book without going to a comic book shop, your life just got very difficult. Yes. I'm not saying you can't do it, but it's really not gonna it's be hard. any yeah. Whereas, like you just said, with a, a regular book, a textbook, you can get that on Amazon, Walmart, mm-hmm. Target. Suddenly your options become a lot wider. And that makes that that does make it makes a lot of sense. I never thought of it that way. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting conundrum because our reader, like I People who read Spider-Man, I think, and I hope, would like this series, even though it's uh, targeting younger kids. Like you said, I I wrote it in such a way that I'm like, I hope all ages, like, if you just like Spider-Man, I hope you like this book, um, this trilogy. But it's like, how do I tell the people who are reading Amazing Spider-Man, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, Superior Spider-Man, maybe not Superior Spider-Man, because there's no Doc Ock in this book. um. <laughs> but if you're reading that comic, like, how do I tell you, like, maybe you should check out this novel? Like where, what is the overlap in that respect of would comics readers come over to a novel? Um, because I think kids, what's great about writing for kids is you're just like, oh, you love Spider-Man. Kids are like, yes, I want to see everything. I want to read everything. If Spider-Man is on the front of it, I want it. It's like, that's why there are 400 warriors novels or like a thousand babysitters club because like if a kid likes a thing they want a million more of that thing
0: and I think us older fans are very guilty of saying this is my standard that I want and I if there's only three women in the world that's all I want to read and that's really limiting yeah it's not fun
1: no I feel like pick it and and I understand like my version of Peter Parker may not be everybody's version of Peter Parker. Um, We all have our favorite creators. We all have the like version of him that we like best depending upon who has uh, written him. But that is not to say there's one person who has done stories for Spider-Man that I like. There's so many people who have created Spider-Man stories I enjoy. It's just, will those Spider-Man stories hit on the themes and the parts of the character that I particularly enjoy?
0: And if you find something isn't quite the way you want to roll, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but it, it tends to enrich your your appreciation of what yeah. you do, like when you can compare it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really fun. It's I think that's what's so cool about writing in these sort of uh, what we call IP, intellectual property, meaning characters that other people own. And something like Marvel, getting to write for Marvel, is that there's such a long history finding my own voice in that history and getting to participate in this character's canon is such a, like an honor and a privilege. And also it's just really, really exciting to bring to the forefront all the pieces of him that I love that I've collected over the years and reading and watching and playing all the things that already exist for him.
0: So when did you personally find Spider-Man?
1: Oh my God. There's a picture of me when I'm like three, I think I'm like very little, and I'm holding a Spider-Man doll in like this white crochet blanket that looks like webbing. <laughs> nice. And I have like no obvious, I'm too little. I like have no memory, but I had an older brother. And so I think that's where like Spider-Man, Star Wars, that kind of stuff. It's like, it's been in my life for so long. I don't remember the first time that I engaged with it. Cause I was probably too little to remember that moment. It's just sort of always been there. Um, but I absolutely like grew up with it where I would read my brother's comics or like the cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons. Obviously like when the Toby movie came out, I was in high school. It was like the perfect time. And I I was so excited about it. I think Spider-Man, there's a reason he's like one of the most popular superheroes in the world because he's so fallible and he's so relatable in how much he missed Like, makes mistakes, how many times he makes mistakes and how he keeps going despite how hard his life is. I think that's something we all relate to and aspire to be able to do.
0: It's something that we really see that if we did happen to wake up with powers one day, Spider-Man is probably the way things would go. I mean, yeah. he has the fancy suit, but that's really all that's he about has it. going for. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have anything else. Like my buddy and I used to joke that they, they would make these spider-man play sets with like spider-man's fortress I'm like he lived in an apartment yeah that, no where, what
1: what fortress what
0: where, where did that come from <laughs> i would rather have a place set of the apartment
1: <laughs> it was that was something i was trying i tried to be very like hyper conscious of that because that old parker look is one of my favorite things about peter parker and so writing the book i was like i want to be constantly like conscious of what his financial situation is like and so make that something he thinks about um because like one of my I think uh, not to continue to bring up the ps4 game but the ps4 game is my favorite spider-man movie I think it hits on exactly what I love about spider-man but the beginning of that game there's this wonderful moment where he's like standing in his apartment and he's looking out the window these sirens are going off there's this like kingpin thing happening he oh he hears it on the the radio, the C2 radio or whatever. And he's standing in the apartment in his suit except and holding his mask. And then like a slip of paper slides under the door for an eviction notice. And he looks at the piece of paper and he looks out the window and he looks at the piece of paper and then he jumps out the window and pulls his mask on because that's Spider-Man. Like mm-hmm. that's Peter Parker. And it's like, yes, you, even when everything in your life is falling apart, you still try to do good.
0: And you know when you have a choice between dealing with those two things, I mean he is just saying he's going to put somebody else above himself. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, you get to your book and you start to realize, you know, there's there's a limit to how often you can do that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, you have to be conscientious of who you are and how far you can go, and what and how your actions will impact others. My least favorite trope my least favorite trope is the for your own good trope. Like when the girlfriend finds out that the superhero is the superhero, or if she do- even if she doesn't, and the superhero breaks up with the girlfriend for your mm. own good. It is my least favorite thing. It makes me so angry because it takes all the agency away from the other person. So one thing I loved in this book was having MJ and Peter sort of have to grapple with that idea of like, She's like, I'm not, I can't be this passive person while you are making these choices and we have to talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's done very, very well. And I would say there's a point in which might get to in the third book where she really, I'm, again, not giving spoilers, <laughs> but progressively toward the end of the book, she accelerates a conversation about how they're going to work together. Yeah. And I think that conversation needs to have a another step forward in the third <laughs> book. <laughs> I'm guessing it does. I haven't read it. I, I can't read read it obviously, yep. but I'm guessing so.
1: I can shrug. It's okay. the shrug emoji.
0: <laughs> but like I, to to parallel them with another couple out there. Would do, do kids today even think of Lois Lane not knowing who Superman is?
1: I don't know. I mean, I think that that will always be a part of it. Like I. I love Supes. I love Lois Lane. Mm-hmm. And it's very much a, a good parallel for Peter Parker and Mary Jane in these books. Because there, there is a lot of like, I can't tell you who I am, but Lois Lane is an investigative journalist. <laughs> <laughs> like she's too smart for that, which I absolutely love. So I think the stories are better for her knowing Honestly, and
0: I agree. And that's kind of what I was getting at is that, you know, for years and years, it was always this joke that she didn't know. And yeah. that was a, that was integral to the story. And then it's like late 90s, they said, comics, books, movies, TV, we're just going to have her know. And that's just going to be the way things are from it's here on so out. And it works. it's so yeah.
1: much more interesting. It's so much more interesting because it gives and, a talking point for him. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think your Peter and MJ dynamic works exactly the same way is mm-hmm. this thing that we couldn't do. And now that we actually do it, it it works.
1: Yeah, it makes it 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 just makes it so much more actively. It means every part of his life is truly impacted by Spider-Man. It's not impacted just by the fact that he's Spider-Man. Spider-Man is a part of their relationship, which is how it should be if he's going to continue to be Spider-Man. Mm hmm
0: there's a certain point at which you can only run out on so many dinners you can only fake so many stomach bugs before it just begins to be silly yeah but this this gives it the chance to actually have some weight to it
1: yeah it was really fun uh spoilers for the first book I guess because she doesn't know in the first book um Mm -hmm. for the most of it and that was a really fun sort of like uh problem solving moment where I was like how am I gonna do this like how is this gonna exist in in my version of their relationship and in my version of who these characters are. and it was a really, really fun scene to write the the moment that it, it that it is revealed slash figured out slash whatever um to try to keep it, I guess a little less spoilery. but that it was just a really fun experiment in in figuring out who these characters are for me and how they would approach this.
0: And with them being high schoolers, being 16, that puts kind of an upper limit on the level of, you know, involved they can get in each other romantically at that point. So it really becomes very important how they're dealing with each other academically as friends, as superhero partners. That really, it it helps make that a much bigger part of their life.
1: Yeah, they are... uh... I just, I wanted them to feel like they liked each other, like as people, like they liked being around each other, like beyond just the, like the romance is important and they obviously like, like, like each other, but they, they needed to feel like two whole people who just really enjoyed each other. And that's what I really, really wanted for them.
0: Well done. oh Pretty, is there anything else that you want to touch on before we break here? No. Okay.
1: I mean, I, I think that's, the, if you like the spot, I guess, <laughs> this is a book to pick up because I love the spot.
0: <laughs> the spot. I, I, <laughs> I, I'm i glad I looked into the spot a little more because I, I read what he's doing and it's like, he is basically using the old Looney Tunes portable yes. holes. Yes,
1: yes. That is why I love the spot. I'm so, it's so funny because I chose the spot. Like I said, I've been working on this book for like several years and I chose the spot at the time because he is a bananas villain, and nobody liked him. Like, nobody used him enough for me. Like, there are some, like, iconic spot comics, but he was always, like, sort of a B-list uh, rogues gallery guy. But my favorite, favorite Spider-Man panel, like, top five Spider-Man panels is Spider-Man going to punch the spot and punching himself in the face. I think it's so funny. And so I was like, I want to use the spot. And they were like, yeah, totally do it. And then, like, a month, maybe like two—not even a month, like two or three weeks—before I turned the final manuscript in, they were like, "Oh, across Spider Verse is going to use the spot as the villain," and I was like, ah. <laughs> "It's fine though. I want the spot to get all the love. I, I love say, him." <laughs>
0: so you didn't feel like they they stole your thunder? You were okay with sharing the spotlight on that?
1: I'm all for more more of the spot. I think our versions of the spot are very, very, very different. Um, mine is much more, I think, comics influenced. They they went a a, a wonderful and wholly unique route with theirs, um, but I'm all. I just think the spot is such a great bad guy for Spider Man, and so delightfully obnoxious that like I am all for the spot being used in everything.
0: <laughs> he is a great way of foiling Peter Parker's wise ass mentality uh-huh he is he takes himself way too seriously and that is the perfect person to throw against peter
1: it's great it's he's so irritated all the time i love it i was like yes put peter with a scientist who is just like i am amazing i'm so smart and peter's like mm, are you though
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> it's so good
0: <laughs> it really is it's an excellent choice there <laughs> And I'm relieved to know that you chose to put him in there rather than having that being one thing that was dictated for you.
1: No, they let me, I will say, like, in terms of the approvals process, it was less like you're not allowed to do things. There was like some things that, like, I got a very, I definitely, like, very early on got very excited and maybe too excited. I was like, and then Captain America comes in, and then the, and then this guy shows up, and they're like, let's pull back on the references. And they were right. It was like too much. Um, but I got to, they very, they never said no to any, like, like Sandman's in the first book. He's the big, the sort of like B-level bad in the first book. There's like an A-level plot that goes across all three books. Um, I created that character that is the A-level threat, but in terms of who I was able to use, they were pretty okay. I don't think they ever said no. They might be like, let's think about if this works. And then there were conversations, but nobody ever was like, you have to use this or you can't use this. It was always like what works best for the story, which I really appreciated. Mm
0: -hmm. There's always the, the idea that these things get made by committee. And I know some of them are not going to point at anything, but it's really refreshing when you have something that is basically your idea.
1: Yeah, this was mine.
0: You had guidance, you had the suggestions, but it was yours. And that, yeah. it, you feel it, you feel it, you really do. I've been following you on Twitter for a while. I kind of know your voice and I hear <laughs> it in the story. Yeah,
1: <laughs> very voice, it's a very voice forward. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that's about it. If you like Spidey, if you like Peter being a huge dork and puns and fun fights, I think this is a series to pick up.
0: I'm going to put the link to the book in the show notes on my website, aaronbossig.com. I'm going to put as much of your information on there as I can. Where can people follow you on social media? Uh,
1: They can follow me basically everywhere at runwithskizzers, S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S. Spending most of my time these days on like Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky, I think. Um, But you can find all my books at prepaytripper.com.
0: Okay. Brittany, thank you so much for being here. I would be glad to have you back to talk comics anytime.
1: Of course. Thanks so much for having me
0: i would like to thank Preeti for being my guest today and i would like to thank you for listening during this episode Preeti's twitter feed came up and i did mention that i really enjoy following her i also follow her on blue sky and i strongly recommend if you are on twitter or blue sky you go ahead and follow her too her handle is runs with and you can find a link to it on my show notes on Aaronbossig.com You could also follow me there at AaronBossig. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky. Go ahead and follow this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.